Well, as, as you and I know, everybody in the world has a worldview, whether they're conscious of it or not. And uh, probably the easiest way to begin thinking about worldview is it's, it's, the, it's the fundamental way in which we attempt to explain reality, explain the world around us. And, and fundamentally, we, we, we seek to answer three questions. You know, we get a lot of great guests here on the Isle of Misfits. That's the name of this here podcast, by the way. And my initial reaction is always the same. What on earth are they doing talking to me? Oh, and by the way, my name is Nancy Carmichael. I am your humble Misfit host. And today, my friends, is no exception because we have, in fact, got a great guest I am so excited to talk to. His name is Michael Craven. He is an accomplished executive, a worldview expert, and his writings it's been featured in places like crosswalk.com, christianity.com, the Christian Post, you name it. And he also happens to be the national director of the Colson Fellows program. And just what is that? You may ask. Oh, you're going to find out, believe you me. But first, let's welcome to the Isle of Misfits Michael Craven. Welcome, Michael. It's really an honor to have you join us today. Nancy, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. No, thank you. I, I, like I said, I'm always amazed that, that God has just favored us with these wonderful guests, and, and you're, you're right up there. You're in, the, you're in the top echelon of the top guests that we've had here. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. But. <laughs> well, yeah, take it from me. Trust me. So um, so one thing that I left out of your bio is that I think you may, in addition to all of your other credits, I think you may have some sort of connection to Arkansas State University. Am, am I right about this? I do. I actually uh, lived a, uh, for seven years in Jonesboro, Arkansas, which was one of the loveliest places uh, on earth. Just really kind, wonderful people. I liken it to growing up in the 50s, but nice. uh, in my case, in the 1970s. So it was just a very idyllic, small southern town. Great music and, from uh, the 70s, by the way. So, yes. Absolutely yep. the best. And, uh, Home to Arkansas State University, so uh, after high school, I, uh, I I went to Arkansas State University. So you are, in fact, an alum. Is it an alumnus or an alum? I, I just I, I know it's not alumni because that is plural. Well, so I, which I, one is I it? I didn't actually end up graduating from Arkansas State University. I left to join the Navy. Ah. Uh, in, in 1980, yes. So uh, this was at the height of the uh, Iranian hostage crisis in. Um, uh, under the Carter administration, and uh, I was I was quite vexed by that, and uh, decided that I needed to go and and uh, do my duty. So I enlisted in the Navy. Ah, uh, yeah, well, hey, thank you for your service. <laughs> truly, you. truly, yes. I I'm married to a Marine, so yes. Yeah, so I I know that you know this is it's it is uh it, it's a big deal to serve your country. Yeah, yeah. it was life changing for me. That's for sure. So I wish I had a stupid game about the Navy now that you've brought it up. But, in fact, <laughs> we have a tradition around here where my listeners know I like to play a stupid game to get to know my guests a little bit. And your stupid game, as it, as it would happen, is fashioned around your affinity for 
Arkansas State University. So if you mm. if you are willing, shall we proceed? I am willing. I am uh, I am I'm bold and adventurous. So let's go. All right. Well, as I said, uh I, I needed to. I felt. I just felt compelled to invite you to play this game. So th the name of this game today is Arkansas State University Fun Facts. So here's how it's going to go. I'm just going to give you. A, it's going to be. Well, I'll give you multiple choice. So you know, we're, we're going to make it easy on you. So um, first question: the mascot. I'll even. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. That's okay. Interesting. So you know, I don't even have to set it up. So I can yeah. give you multiple choice if you need it. Yeah. Because. Yes. I learned things. Yeah. All right. So I know in 2008 there was a vote, as yeah. you probably well know, and right. it was between three different mascots. Shall I shall I give you the choices, or do you just want to impress us? Uh, well, I can I can tell you the the current mascot is the red wolf. The red wolf, of course it is. Yeah. How would you not yeah. know that? Yeah. So do all yeah. right for bonus points. Do you know what the the other there were two runner ups? I don't know what the runner-ups were. So, um, you know, when I went there, we were one of those schools that went through this this multicultural hijinks to uh, change our mascot for fear of offending people. Oh, well, hold on to that thought because we're going to get there in okay. a second. So, yeah, so I okay. do know the runner-ups because I, you know, I know how to look <laughs> up things on the Internet. So the runner-ups were the Ridge Riders or the Express Train. But as you know, in the end, <laughs> Red Wolves one the day yeah i so, think they chose wisely there we go <laughs> yeah it does resonate i think okay um all right alumni i again looked this up in the internet it's a wonderful thing the internet um so how many alumni are there are there i'm going to give you three choices are there seven thousand seventy thousand or seven hundred thousand i am going to say 70,000. And you are correct. Yes, 700,000 would be impressive, but yeah. and maybe one day they'll get there. Who knows? Yeah, it was it was a small school. Yeah, so that actually is impressive for a small school. So, yeah. all right, you're two for two and as I said, hold on to that thought because my third question is actually this is total open-ended Rorschach test. Your favorite fun fact or fun story from university or Arkansas State University. I think you were starting to tell me a little story. Well, I um, yeah, I was going to reference the uh, the decision. We used to be our mascot used to be Jumping Joe, uh, and we were the Indians, Arkansas ah. State University Indians, and uh, that was changed. In fact, one of my fraternity brothers uh, was uh, was Chief Jumping Joe, and of course uh, rode he was. the horse and stabbed the spear into the uh, ground at the fifty yard line. That was always a big fun. But well, what uh, else would you do, really? I just had many fond memories of uh, football in the fall, beautiful weather. Arkansas is such a beautiful place, and uh, they had such a temperate climate, ideal four seasons. And it was just a wonderful place. I was uh, involved in uh, fraternity life, Greek life, and uh, I probably was a little too involved in Greek life, to be quite honest. But uh, that's, uh, that's okay. You joined story. the Navy, and it, yes, that's right. it just whipped you into shape. <laughs> Yeah, I was well prepared for the Navy. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, you have done an outstanding job on our stupid game, so I, I I commend you. And if I had any Isle of Misfit mugs left, you would be the, you'll be the first one when the next shipment comes in. There'll be one at your door. Wonderful. 
right back at you. Wonderful. So, all right. So you, you know, I know you've been a great sport, but I know you're here to talk about more than your favorite fun facts from Arizona State University. Uh, Arizona. Okay. Mess that up. Okay. <laughs> from Arkansas State University. Um, the other ASU. Yeah, the other ASU. Yeah. We're not going to talk about them. They can come up with their own game. So why are you here? Well, I think I think there's a lot I would like to talk to you about today. Um, you know, we just, on the Isle of Misfits, finished a four-part series about hope in the madness. Uh, so the timing, I think, is perfect. Not that I'm, uh, you know, conflating you with madness, but we've been talking about the crazy things that have been happening in the world, the angry things, the sad things, um, and even some of the things that are making people feel powerless. And what does this have to do with you? Well, you talk to people all over the country. And, you know, I know we all have access to the news, right? Whatever that is anymore. Um, You know, via TV and social media. But you are actually talking to people all over the country because of what you do. So I am interested to shut up and hear what you're hearing. What are you seeing going on right now? Well, you know, I am in my 20th year of uh, vocational ministry. I came out of the business world. I was the CEO of a uh, large company here in Dallas. But I was so grieved by the state and direction of our culture, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, and, and the fact that I was raising three young children and, and wondering and concerned about the world in which they were going to grow up. Um, and so I, I, the Lord just struck me kicking and screaming, frankly, into vocational ministry where I began to, um, you know, I just felt compelled to challenge the spiritual apathy, theological vacuity, cultural indifference of the church and this generation through serious research, writing, teaching, speaking, uh, published a book in 2009 with NAV Press called Uncompromised Faith, Overcoming Our Culturalized Christianity. Because for me, what was so apparent, uh, given the history of the church and the formation of Western civilization, is that that influence uh, that that contributed more so than any other to uh, the creation of the most successful civilization in the history of the world had dissipated. And I and I was curious to find out why. And uh, so, 20 years ago, as I said, I was already deeply and thoroughly concerned about the state of the culture. Imagine how much more so. Uh, I am today, as are so many others. Um, but I think the thing that's important to understand is that, that our culture is not a, this is not something that has happened to us in the last four years. It's not something that's happened to us right. in the last 40 years. This is, this is something that has been in development since the Enlightenment. Um, and just slowly percolating beneath the surface, the formation of ideas antithetical to the Judeo-Christian life and worldview, um, because this is this is at the heart of what is always happening in the world, is that you've got two sides, two different groups of people, because they're made in the image of God, and because they're made in the image of God, they are they are natural-born culture makers. That's what the dominion mandate is. That was mankind's primary calling at creation was to to be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, and in other words, bring the fullness of God's creation into being. That was our charge, uh, and this is how we interact with culture is or with with creation is by creating culture. 
And by this, I mean economics, art, music, literature, science, technology, business, commerce, uh, politics, government, all of these things that, uh, that, 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 that go on to create what we call society and life. Okay, um, so, all right, I, I, I'm going to just put a pause right there because you, you said a couple of things that I want to respond to, um, that we interact with creation by creating culture. That I, and that's, right. yeah, that, that's a profound thought, you know, that's, there's such truth in that. Um, yeah. The, but the, the, you said something else that I want to address, um, and it's going to sound like I'm pushing back, um, but only because I know some of my listeners and I know how they think. You said you think that the the dissipation in our culture didn't start four years ago, didn't start 40 years ago. You're, you're contending that it, it really kind of started with the Enlightenment. So what's wrong with the Enlightenment? Don't we want to be enlightened? Do you have a problem with Enlightenment? Yeah. Well, you have to think of the Enlightenment as a, uh, an epistemological movement. And I know that's a big word, but what, it, uh, what it's a reference to is the nature of knowledge and knowing what is it that we can know, and how do we know? And uh, a good way of understanding the contrast between Christendom and the epistemology that grew out of Christian faith versus uh, the Enlightenment and the epistemology that grows out of the Enlightenment, Augustine said it well. Um, he regarded faith as a pathway to knowledge. In other words, he said, I believe I have faith, in order to understand, meaning the world around me, the Enlightenment turns that on its head and says, no, I need to understand before I can believe. Mm. So, we, so, yeah. so we, we, we see faith historically as a pathway to knowledge, as a partner in the quest for knowledge, and, and what the Enlightenment does is it, it subordinates faith to reason and, and science and, and purely materialistic forces. Um, and this uh, leads to a, a fairly large-scale struggle in uh, Western civilization, frankly, for the soul and life of Western civilization, to, uh, uh, you know, jettison this, this historic influence of Christianity and uh, move beyond uh, what they believed had become passe, archaic ways of thinking and interpreting reality through... Uh, the eyes of the divine creator, uh, and now instead seeing man as divine, that reason was the divine uh, aspect of human nature, and that this is what needed to be given full voice to. So, again, so, to, to offer a contrast, you know, David says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Pythagoras says, man is the measure of all things. Mm, you know, and such an important uh, distinction and contrast, as you said, because I, I think... This might sound unfair, because it's not like people don't think. People do think when they're given the chance to, but maybe we're in such, you know, there, there's, we're inundated with so much information, it's hard to wade through it and really think about things, because we hear a word like enlightenment, you know, just, just, and just like you said, like, I don't know that people necessarily think through, well, what does that really mean? When we talk about enlightenment, enlightenment, we get this idea, well, it's good to be enlightened, but when you really break down, as you said, like the epistemology of, of, of what's really behind these things, that's when we, be, we begin to understand. And, and I think this is a, this is a resonating theme, even in um, why I have you here today, this idea of, well, why? Why do you believe what you believe? Yeah. 
Well, and interestingly, you know, the Enlightenment was in the 18th century, and that was the really the last great epistemological shift that we as a culture, as a civilization, have gone through until recently uh, with the rise of postmodernism, or one some might refer to as hypermodernism. So what, 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 what occurs in the 20th century is this, this, this second epistemological movement, or maybe a third epistemological movement, that begins to challenge the claims of, of modernism, of the Enlightenment, and says basically that, you know, you guys said you were going to solve all of our problems, that reason was the solution, that, you know, these Christians had long argued that sin was the problem, Jesus was the solution, you come along and said, no, ignorance is the problem, reason is the solution. And, and what the history of the world shows us is that has been an abject failure, because uh, the 20th century opens as the humanist century, uh, the one in which reason would finally triumph, quote-unquote, Mm-hmm. And uh, and solve all of humanity's problem. Yet, when unfold, what unfolded in the 20th century was among the bloodiest in in uh, millennia. Right, um, hundred million and, dead. Yeah, so it yeah. was it was a complete and total failure. So the postmodern um, ep- epistemological project, if you will, it, it begins with a, with a worthy challenge to modernism and the Enlightenment, and says you 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 failed. <laughs> and you fail miserably. Uh, but what it offers in its place is nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it renders all knowledge meaningless. It renders reason meaningless. It renders truth relative. Um, and so now we're in this next great epistemological shift that is radically reshaping the world in which we live, in which nothing any longer can be known or can be claimed to be true and good and beautiful. Um, and again, always at the heart of these, these social cultural battles are these powers and principalities that are inevitably and always working to undermine, assault, and attack God's created order, to undermine it, to, to overthrow it, if you will. Right. And, you know, when you're talking about nothing can be known and meaninglessness and truth is relative, uh, the word nihilism comes to my mind. Mm. And as I, you tell me, is that, I mean, it, is that what we're talking about? It is what we're talking about. It's it's certainly one manifestation of of the postmodern project, and uh, I, I think it's why you see the rising what they call deaths of despair rising in this country, uh, because that's what that's what postmodern epistemology ultimately does. It leaves people with nothing, no hope. Uh, that life is ultimately meaningless, there's no point in even trying to discern or discover truth because it doesn't exist, therefore you have to create your own. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think... a dreadful situation. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and I think, you know, even within that, you see such, a, such an effort to, as you said, create your own, create your own identity, create your own reality, create your own glossary of terms, you know, where almost... Everything that that you could think to address, whether it's our own, how we view ourselves and yeah. our 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 gender, our physiology, our place exactly. in society, it's 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 no longer I've been created. It's no, I'm the creator, and I determine that. And you would think that that would lead to feelings of empowerment, right? So if I'm in control, and yet. 
if we look around, that doesn't seem to be the case. Why is that? Yeah, that's actually the deception. That that is that is the great lie. Um, that you know, I mean, it go, let's go back to the garden. What 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 Adam and Eve did is they sought a forbidden knowledge that they believed would make them like God. And that is the, that is the the fundamental root of our rebellion against God. We we all seek a forbidden knowledge that we believe that we assume will make us like God, that we will become our own God. And, uh, and this is at the heart of all cultural conflict. Uh, either you submit to God the creator as the author and finisher of, of life and faith, or you submit to yourself as the author and finisher of life and faith. Uh, the latter is, is inevitably short-lived because we're not very good at being God. Um, in large part because we're just simply not God. <laughs> He's the right. great I am. We are the great are nots. So. Ah, and there's a contrast. And, you know, I'd also say, I, I, I know a good deal of people say, yeah, and you know what? Hey, I don't want to be God. Like, so it, it could be semantics, but, you know, people are thinking, no, I'm not religious. That's the whole point. I hate religion, so don't bring God into this. I'm just making my own decisions. I'm self-determining. So there's almost, in this meaninglessness that we're talking about it you know we we, we've spiraled to the point where almost you know meaning doesn't have meaning anymore that people on the one hand can say well no this is not about god but at the same time if you keep pushing you know with that well why why do you think you know why do you feel the way you do or what's behind what you what you really believe it ultimately gets back to the same place that you're speaking of it's who is in charge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 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 either in active rebellion against God, or our rebellion has been quelled by grace, and we have surrendered uh, to the love and mercy of a of a gracious and merciful God. And uh, that's that's the conflict that is in, is everywhere and always unfolding in our world. It's not political. These are all merely extensions of that of that root problem, that root battle, that root conflict. Right. So. Yeah. Yep. And getting back to the root, I think I think that's the challenge because once we're able to kind of uh, unravel these things and get back to root, then then things are a little more clear. But I think it's that process. Which so now I kind of want to segue because one of one of the ways I introduced you was as a worldview expert, and I, I that probably sounds lofty. And to some people, like, well, what the heck is a worldview expert, and what is what is even worldview, and what does this have to do with what we're talking about? So yeah. this is where I'm going to sit back and let you talk a little more. Well, as as you and I know, everybody in the world has a worldview, whether they're conscious of it or not. And uh, probably the easiest way to begin thinking about worldview is it's, it's, the, it's the fundamental way in which we attempt to explain reality, explain the world around us. And, and fundamentally, we, we, we seek to answer three questions. Where do we come from? So what, what is our origin? How did we get here? And, and does that have any bearing on our significance? Do we have any special significance within the created order or the existing order? Um, and, and if we don't, then how do we determine, uh, you know, the basis of human rights, human dignity, our intrinsic value? Is our value intrinsic or is it instrumental? 
the second question that we're, we're always seeking to, whether, again, consciously or unconsciously answer, is what's gone wrong in the world? Um, every reasonable, rational human being looks around the world and says, this cannot be how it's meant to be. Things are not as they should be or are intended to be in the Christian mindset. Uh, but everybody knows the world could be better, that it's not as good as it ought to be. And, of course, that word ought um, is, is, is rich with all sorts of implications because it begs the question, how do you know things ought to be one way or another to begin with? Exactly. Uh, and how do you get there, even if you yeah. did agree? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we would argue, for example, that the problem in the world is, is sin. It's, it's, it's not that people do bad things. It's that, it's that we sought a forbidden knowledge that we believe would make us like God. We are God usurpers. Um, and there's a consequence of that, because in, in, in the usurpation of God, what we effectively did is we cut ourselves off from the only real source of life. So, in effect, we become like cut roses. We have the appearance of life, but having been cut off from the source of life, we're actually dead. And and it's, it doesn't actually become real or realized for about seven, ten days in the case of a rose. In the case of the human being, it's about 70 to 80 years. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> we realize that yeah. we are disconnected from the source of life. And therefore, death is inevitable to us. So, um, you know, this is this is that that's the Christian explanation of what's gone wrong with the world. Others might argue that the problem in the world is is ignorance. If we could just educate people, if we could, uh, through education and moral reform, improve the human person, that they would they would, of course, and 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 agreeably. Um, conform to that instruction and and go and be good people. Um, and that would just solve everything, right? And, and, that and would yet, solve everything. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, we're the most educated uh, generation in the history of the world. There's more information. Yeah. What is it? You know, is that that exponential? I'm sure you know. Uh, I, I, I can't recall what the term is, but you know, just that how knowledge is increasing exponentially, like yeah. every you know, every few minutes, right? Um, and and yet, has that has that given us the peace that we so desperately seek? Yeah, well, I'm I'm always I'm always you know reminded of the Third Reich, uh, which at the time the Germans were arguably the most educated people on the planet, uh, the height of sophistication, and yet they found themselves deceived by a man who famously said, "It is the luck of rulers when men do not think." Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think that that, yeah, that could good be fortune. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be paraphrased. I think that's a plague among uh, American society today. We just we're, we're no longer a thinking people, and so we're easily swayed. But um, I, I think that could be paraphrased to say it is the luck of powers and principalities when men do not think. Mm -hmm. um, and as Christians, we are we are compelled to think, to renew our minds, and to. Uh, and, and, and to do so through the lens of developing a coherent and cogent worldview that helps us explain reality. And that takes me to the third and final point. Um, so we've started with where do we come from, what's gone wrong with the world, and then the third and final is, at the very least, what is the solution? What is our hope? 
Uh, I mentioned earlier that, that some would argue it's education. We believe that it's Christ and his kingdom come into the world to make things new, to make things right, to set right what sin is set wrong. Um, also have another, uh, another little trifecta if you're interested. Oh, yes. Um, as, as it relates to the church. I, I, I think part of, and I say this all the time to people, and they, they, they sort of are shocked when I do so, but, you know, our, our culture today is not the consequence of a secular occupation. It hasn't been that we were overthrown mm-hmm. by secular forces. Mm-hmm. It is more accurately the result of a Christian evacuation. Ooh, um, so not overthrowing, but an evacuation. Yeah, yeah. Because the uh, the most the most formidable culture changing, culture creating, culture transforming force in the history of the world. Uh, that 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 institution, that that element that has uh, shifted the trajectory, the natural trajectory of fallen human culture from sin and ruin towards something true and good and beautiful has been the Christian church. It has been Christianity. It has been Jesus Christ come into the world and upon doing so and establishing his authority once again on the earth to spread his righteousness across the earth and to uh, begin the process of new creation. New ideas were introduced, new ways of thinking, new ways of living. Uh, new interpretations of reality about men and women and husbands and wives and fathers and children and workers and and citizens and neighbors and all of these concepts came into being and suddenly the world began to experience some measure of improvement, visible improvement that attracted people to the community that was leading that improvement and that community was the church. Um, And so the church has this long history of shaping the world around it, fulfilling its dominion mandate, its cultural mandate, which I think we diminish today, uh, in large part because the uh, we've, we've we've diminished the gospel into nothing more than the personal plan of salvation. Uh, but the gospel is not synonymous with the personal plan of salvation. It's not synonymous with personal salvation. That's a part of it. The gospel, according to the scriptures, is really the gospel of the kingdom. That's the phrase that is used over and over and over again by Jesus himself and the apostles. This was the gospel they, they were taught. It's the gospel that they, they, uh, they taught to others. And it was the announcement of the inbreaking rule and reign of Christ. Right. So you know, it, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and I'll conclude with this. It's not so much that we're inviting Jesus into our lives as it is, he is inviting us into his. Yes, yes. And so I would say, and I this is going to sound like pushback, but in my mind it really isn't. So um, just keep that in mind when I say this. So I think along with that of diminishing the gospel by making it, well, it's all about me rather than me being part of a bigger story, I think one way that the culture of Christianity as opposed to the church has diminished it is by reducing it to to a system of morality. And I'm mm-hmm. not knocking morality. I'm not saying, you know, acting morally towards your neighbor is a bad thing. No, no, we could use a lot more of that. But because we've made it all about the morality and not the transformation that produces morality and changes hearts and changes communities and changes kingdoms, you know, to, to, to be a part of God's kingdom, I, I think that's that's a part of the relinquishing of it and the diminishment. And, you know, it makes me think of, um, oh, it was a Bonhoeffer quote, I bet you know it better than me. You know, I so said that, that, that 
evil prevails, right, when good men do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's, um, so it's, 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 it's disingenuous of Christians to claim that Christ is Lord, um, but then not live that out in their everyday lives when the creation over which he is Lord and is currently and presently exercising all authority in heaven and on earth um, to withdraw from that culture, to withdraw from that world, is to is to undermine his his claims to not only be king over creation but king over you. Yes, yeah, and it's and it's a very um, shallow view yeah. of Christianity as well. That again, when we reduce it to, well, yeah, I'll check the box. I go to church and I'm a Christian and don't smoke and don't, you know, don't cuss and don't hang out with people that do those things. No, no, no. This is this is about as you said, this is about a new creation, new ideas, a new way of living and, you know, we think, "Oh, well, yeah, I know because I know Christians or I was brought up in the church." That's not the same thing as 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 being transformed and swept up into yeah. again into that bigger story of a life that we never thought was possible on our own terms and our own strength. Well, and that and that takes me back to my my trifecta. So I, I think there's three general areas of of misunderstanding that are commonly held in the church today that have inhibited our ability to carry out our mission into the world. Uh, to develop a, a robust and coherent Christian worldview, or more accurately, public theology. How do we live this Christian faith out in the real world? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those three categories could be summed up as follows, the past, the present, and the future. What was, what is happening right now, and, and what is going to happen in the future? And, and, and very quickly, it's, it's the past is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, recovering man's primary calling, which is to be a culture creator, the cultural mandate, uh, which was given to Adam and Eve. But then it was also restated after the fall to Noah. So this, this did not go away. And many Christians today think, well, what do we have to do with culture? All we need mm. to worry about is, is getting people saved. Mm. Well, that's not why Jesus came, is to save people and take them off the earth. Um, And that's the second thing, is what is happening right now, and that's the inbreaking rule and reign of Christ. That's what the gospel actually is. It's the the announcement, inauguration, and real presence of the inbreaking rule and reign of Christ upon earth that came 2,000 years ago, has been coming ever since, and one day in the future is going to be finally and fully come when, when all of the enemies of God, death and sin, the final enemies of God, death and sin, are defeated. And uh, and that then takes you to what is to come. Heaven is not our home. It's this earth. Right, right. new it's heaven, resurrection. new earth. Yes, yes. And, and, and there is so much misunderstanding in those three categories that that by, by not understanding what the Bible actually teaches in those three areas... We're, we're at a loss as to what to do. We easily and readily accept the reductionist gospel as if um, we're, we're modern-day Platonists that believe that you know, the material world is bad and salvation is escape from it. Hmm. Um, and that's practically the gospel that, that we've been teaching for the last 7,500 years. Is that it's all about uh, you know getting off this earth and and going to be with Jesus and uh, as if Jesus is not coming back here. Yeah, which really is kind of a uh, not to 
get into the weeds of theology, but from my shallow understanding, that's kind of a Gnostic thought, right? Very Materialism much. is Very bad, much. and we should yeah. everything should be spiritual. Very much. This was the this was the first heresy to uh, that the Christian Church encountered the early heresy of Gnosticism, and that's exactly what it was. And it's Gnosticism is still alive and well, and uh, in in very difficult, uh, very different and practical forms, especially in the American context. So, so we have. Oh boy, just to, to even try to wrap all this together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can do it. Um, you know, I mean, we are we are holistic. You know, we, when you talk about, you know, it doesn't begin and end with us. So it doesn't begin and end with our understanding because we're not the center of the universe. We are created. So it starts with divinity. And yet we are called to use the minds, the brain capacity that that our Creator has endowed us with to think through these things. You know, it's not that we're not supposed to seek to understand. The Proverbs are full of, you no, know, seek wisdom, gain, by all means, seek wisdom, try, you know, it's, mm-hmm. that, that's our, that's our, our gift, that, that God has given us this earth so that we could, we could learn. Yeah. So, it's not a disconnect from our brain, and in fact, you, you you also said something that, you know, and I agree with that, that we're no longer a thinking people, but I would say this, I think, I think we'd like to be, and I, and I think given the chance, people do want to think, I think we, we just have, we have to re-engage, all right, how do we become a thinking people? Because I think mm. it's wired, it's wired into us that we really, we really want to, but we're fighting so much in culture. In some ways, we're fighting an inundation of so much information th- that it almost shuts our thinking down. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think this is one of the uh, one of the the beauties of God's design for His people. You know, He He saves us out of our isolation and independence and forms us into a community. Um, and it is in this community that we learn best. Uh, we are not designed, nor is it, is it favorable to us to study in isolation because we can come up with all sorts of heresies. Uh, but when we study and learn in community, we grow in our knowledge and understanding. And knowledge and understanding is profoundly important to the Christian. Um, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 um, very strongly underscores this fact that uh, you know, the way you can know the good, perfect, pleasing will of God is by the renewing of your mind. Um, you know, God has made us to be uh, incredibly reasonable, rational creatures. He's given us extraordinary gifts and capacities. He speaks to these at the Tower of Babel. He looks at these people who have a common language, who are trying to build a tower for their own glory, build a city for their own glory. Violation of the dominion mandate, by the way. And, and he says, you know, these people can do anything they set their minds to. Why? Because he gave us the ability to do extraordinary things. The problem is, 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 is again, we're always creating culture. The question is, is, is it godly culture or is it ungodly culture? And in the case of Tower of Babel, they were creating ungodly culture. And so he says, if I let them do this, they will destroy this earth once again. That's what we do as fallen man. Uh, so God raises up for himself a people who create godly culture. That's his church. 
And so we come together in that church and we study and we learn and we grow and we enter into the full story of what God is doing, which begins at creation, goes through the fall, certainly reaches its pinnacle in, in the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, but it continues following the resurrection toward restoration of all things. And in today's church, what we tend to focus on is, is just those middle two chapters, the fall and redemption. Right, right. When there's and so Jesus. Much more. Yeah. When there's, there's so, so much, much more. more. And right. there's a there's a there's an incredible story that we're being invited into to inhabit and live in by the power and grace of God. This is the abundant life that Jesus promises. And uh, so I think gathering in community, this is why we do the Colson Fellows program. We think the Colson Fellows program, Chuck Colson believed the Colson Fellows program. Uh, was one instrument that God could use where he could gather his people into community, providing them space to wrestle with the prevailing questions of our time and wrestle deeply and test these against scriptures and, and challenge and exhort one another to understand and act and live this story out in this particular cultural moment. Yes. Uh, but we need to be prepared. We need to be equipped. We need to know what we're doing, and we need to know what we're talking about. Okay. So, speaking of inviting, and we're, we're what we're talking about here is we're talking about using our minds that God gave us to understand greater things than ourselves, doing it in community, and an invitation. And really, that's that's kind of the culmination, I think, of of why. Why we invited you here to talk about this invitation and the Colson Fellows Program and what is it all about and why are we inviting you to it? Well, uh, I have just again, I, you know, I mentioned that uh, for the last twenty years, I've been I've been working for you know the reformation and, and renewal of the church in America. And uh, as, as I've pursued that endeavor, I, again, I've, I've identified this, these, these three primary areas of misunderstanding that are so large that if we're off in these, we're off by a mile. And um, what we need is an opportunity to sort of recalibrate uh, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and to study. And I think that's what the Colson Fellows Program does. It's a 10-month program that is a, a deep dive into what we commonly refer to as Christian worldview, uncommonly as public theology. Um, and a good way to think about that is, is, you know, most of us are trained and taught in the church uh, about how to appropriate a right relationship with Christ and, and to experience some therapeutic benefits thereof as regards to our relationship to ourselves. But what we don't do is we don't move further and help the Christian understand how to live in right relationship to others and to the rest of creation. And that we have a responsibility to everything within creation for the glory of God as his stewards, as his co-regents in his creation, uh, his image bearers. And so we, we take you further into that, you know, that realm of what I call public theology. How do you live this out? What is our purpose in the world? Uh, because it's much bigger than mere evangelism, I will tell you that, according to the scriptures. And we've we've got to we've got to enlarge our vision of what God is actually doing in the world. Um, that it's that it's so much more than merely rescuing individual souls. Right, and, and so much so, yeah, yeah, so and so much more than mere behavior modification. That's right. It's not it's not believe uh, believe and behave. 
um, I, I, I think that's what we experience as much as anything else in the American context. Believe and behave. Uh, that's a hard thing to do, a life of sin management. Um, and, and so the Colson Fellows Program, I, I've just never seen anything have such a transforming effect on, on serious-minded Christians, people who have grown up in the church sometimes, um, and somehow missed this story, only to discover this story and just find their lives set on fire for what God is doing in the world, and, and discovering, perhaps for the first time, their true purpose in God's story and how to live it out. Well, I think a lot of people's minds are blown right now because, yeah, you know, we there's people out there that are listening that I know, hey, they've been brought up in the church, and, and some are probably tracking, saying, yeah, this is great, and some are like, wow, I, you know, I, I, I didn't even know the Christians thought these things. I didn't think they were capable of intelligent thought. Um, you know, but but um, to have this opportunity for not just information, as you say, but transformation. You know, this is I, this might be my first public uh, misfit uh, acknowledgement that I myself am a Colson Fellow. I went through the program several years ago uh, in 2018, so I can attest to everything that you said, just being challenged, being um, ju- just being pushed, but in a good way to, yeah. to think beyond just the... Uh, the stereotypes and the you know the two-dimensional thinking that that all too often can be prevalent in in cultures that we associate with evangelicalism and i'm not knocking evangelicalism but i'm i'm saying that there's there's more to it than what you're seeing in the memes out there and in the you know the the cartoons yeah yeah, and that's not the, the final thing I would say is 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 none of that is the result of any sort of organized heresy or deception, but we are a product of the times in which we live, and and these are changes that have occurred slowly over long periods of time, and it is possible to be Christian and have some things wrong. Uh, Apollos in the book of Acts chapter 18 is a, is a great example of that. A man described as being full of the spirit used greatly by God in preaching and teaching. And yet he did not understand some things with regard to baptism. He was still a believer. Uh, and what he needed was he needed two Christians to come along Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila to explain the scriptures more thoroughly to him. This is the, these are the times in which we live. We need to be, be explaining to one another the story more fully that is revealed to us in Scripture and inviting one another to live fully in that story. Right. Understanding in the context of a bigger story. So, so Michael, if someone out there listening is, is saying, hey, I want to know more about this Colson Fellows program, how can they find out more? Real easy. Just go to colsonfellows.org and uh, visit our website, and you can request more information if what you find on the website still does not satisfy. If you'd like to speak with somebody, we have mechanisms on the website that will uh, enable you to do that. We're happy to talk to you, explain the program thoroughly. Uh, I will say it is it is an intensive program, as you can well attest, right? Yes, I uh, can indeed. <laughs> but I made it. If I can yeah, do you it, it, you can do it. A lot of reading, uh, 10 months, and uh, but again, I, I, 
we've got about 2,500 alumni. Um, almost another 500 will be commissioned this year in May, and we don't. Nobody graduates from the program. They're commissioned uh, to go forth and uh, and be a missionary in the world in the in the true meaning of that word, no matter what their vocational calling is. Right, and that's um, actually my favorite part of the program. There were actually two. Two, well, I, I think I loved all the reading and all the, you know, all the material was wonderful. There was a, a personal, there was a personal part of devotions, uh, a really great, just deep stuff, but the three-year plan, you know, yeah. not just, okay, well, this is great, thanks for all the information, but no, what are you going to do with it? And, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. It's not purely an academic program. It is a it is it is a program of preparation um, to equip you to actually go and do and help you discover what it is that God wants you to do. Your calling, right, right, because we all have one. From what yeah. I hear, Amen. Amen. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being part of our podcast today. Thanks for uh, just thanks for what you're doing and. I'm just looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with this Colson Fellows program, and who knows, you may get some more fellows out of Amen. our conversation today. I hope so. Nancy, thank you so much. So I want to kind of clarify something and tell you what we're not talking about here. The heart of this is not about making a moral majority. No, no, no. It's so much bigger than that. Because, okay, yeah, Christians are called to impact the culture, but debate doesn't get us there. Bullying doesn't get us there. Transformed lives are what transforms culture. And that transformation doesn't come from any law or program, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ in human hearts. Oh, it's personal, all right. But it doesn't stop there because there's a story unfolding that is so much bigger than any one of us. But the amazing thing is that we, as individuals, get to play a part in that story. And we also get to choose whether we accept that part, whether we want to glorify God with it, or frankly, to put ourselves in the starring role and we all know how that turns out. So yeah, just had to get that out there. Now, if you want to know more about what Michael and I were talking about with this Colson Fellows program, real easy. Just visit colsonfellows.org, C-O-L-S-O-N, fellows.org. In fact, I feel so strongly about it that I'm not even going to plug isleofmisfits.com. Oh wait, I guess I just did. But seriously, check it out. And if you have any questions, guess what? You can contact me at ncarmichael, N-C-A-R-M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at colsonfellows.org, because guess what? I'm a part of the Colson Fellows regional cohort team. And if they let a misfit like me in, well then, I guess there's room for anyone. <laughs> <laughs>